So as Christmas approaches, what are you hoping for for Christmas? What are you hoping for this Christmas? Now, I don't know about you, but as soon as I hear that question, what comes to mind is stuff. It's what I want and hope is going to be under the Christmas tree, my wish list. What are you hoping for for Christmas? I ask that because this season we're going to look at hope. We're going to look at hope in Advent. And the challenge is, in America, Christmas is, this whole season is a busy time leading up to Christmas. And I was thinking about it this past week, how weird our American rituals are. Like, pretend like you haven't been doing Thanksgiving and all this kind of stuff. Uh, just imagine what it would be like if you came and you sat at a, uh, and just watched Americans for a couple days. So on Thanksgiving, Thursday, we sit with our families, we eat a meal, and a, a great tradition is we all go around and we say what it is that we're thankful for. Say so we're thankful for our family, we're thankful for our friends, the community we live in, we're thankful for our house. And by the end of that time, you start realizing, you know what, I have everything that I need, right? You guys ever feel like that? When you stop and think about what you're thankful for, you're like, I have all that I need. And then the next day is Black Friday. And all we think about that day is all the things that we have to have, right? So strange, isn't it? It's like this huge turnabout. You're focused on, I have all that I need. And then, then, you know, the advertisements are like, here's all the things that you have to have. And oftentimes, the Christmas season, we can be fixated on that. Now, there's nothing wrong with gift giving, but the temptation can be for us to focus really on the gifts. And the challenge that I want to lay out for you this Christmas is what are you hoping for? What are you hoping for? And I want to invite you, and we're going to invite you this coming sermon series on Advent to hope for something deeper, hope for something more significant. What are you hoping for this Advent season? So for the next four weeks, we're going to uncover a little bit of the hope of the gospel, the hope that we celebrate and prepare for the celebration that Christ came into the world. And we celebrate the fact that Christ comes into our lives every single day. And we prepare for the fact that Christ is going to come again one day. And so we're going to talk about this Advent for the next four weeks as we prepare for Christmas. What are we hoping in? And how do we live in a deeper hope than just, I hope for something under the tree? Now, our text this week focuses on the hope promised by Jesus' second coming. This is the second week, or the second time in a row that I've preached on, like, Jesus' second coming and all these kind of things. I'm like, oh man, I thought more about Jesus' second coming in the last few weeks than I have in my whole entire life. So, and, and the challenge is with it, the sermon series on hope, well, when I think of the second coming— Challenge is that I don't, that's not the first thing that jumps into my, into my mind, I hope. It's more like fear, like, oh my gosh, what if Jesus came back tomorrow, like Mike was saying, or confusion, okay, what is it going to look like? But today, I want to fixate on, is there hope in Jesus' second coming? And if so, what is it? And then how do we live in that hope this week? How do we live, as Mike said, 
ready every single day. I, that, that's always confused me. What does it look like for me to be ready, to stay awake? So that's what we're going to be looking at in our text this week. And we're, we're going to be looking at this text. It's broken into two sections. The first section is in 29 through 31, and that's focused on Jesus' coming back, the event, the future destination that human history is moving towards. Human history is moving towards an event when Jesus is going to come back. All of our individual stories are moving towards that event. So the first part of the text is on the future destination. And then the second part of the text is on Jesus saying, this is how you get ready for that, which is what I'm going to call the present course of navigation. Are we heading in the same way that Jesus is heading are we heading towards that destination individually in our lives? Is that where our story's heading? Or is our story heading somewhere else? My individually? Am I, am I prepared? Am I navigating towards that? So first off is a future destination where history is going to end as we know it, and then our individual present course of destination. That's 31 through 44. Now before we get into Jesus' second coming, um, I think that there's a pre-question for us to ask. And I've been asking it the last couple of weeks. Like, Jesus, why? Why do you want us to think about the end of the world as we know it? Right? Do you guys ever wonder that? Oh, man, another sermon on this. I can't take it. Do we have to think about it? Well, oftentimes we think about the end of history like we think about the fact that we're going to die. We're like, if I don't think about it, maybe it's not going to happen. Right? Like, maybe if I just don't think about the fact that Jesus is coming back, maybe it's not going to happen. If I, I don't want to think about the end of the world. That's too, that's out there. The challenge is we have to think about the end of the world. Why? Because the world will end. I'm going to say that again. The world will end. And I did research this past week on different, kind of what is, not, not outside of Christianity, what are people's perspectives? What are different world religions' perspectives on the end of the world? And the reality is that there's no philosopher, scientist, or religion that doesn't say the world's going to end. The reality is the world is going to end. So we have to think about it. It's wise to think about it. Just like somebody who gets cancer or a terminal illness begins to realize that their end is near, they start to have a laser focus for life. And so Jesus is saying the world will end and I want you to stay laser focused on what you should be doing in preparation for that. And so what I want to do is I want to look at this text that we have of what story, what account does Jesus tell us of how the world is going to end? And then what I want to do is I want to share with you a little bit of my research from this past week of what are some different stories, some different narratives, different accounts according to what a purely scientific uh, atheist would say, somebody that says God doesn't have anything to do with the, na uh, the natural order. It's all here, just it's here. And then also what is, what, what do world religions think about the end of the world. And so we're going to look at Jesus, and then we're going to look at what does an atheist think about it, just so we know what other people think. Or maybe you are saying, I don't, I don't believe in God. Well, what do I think about the end of the world then? And then we're going to look at a, uh, the world religion's basic understanding of the end of the world. And what I want to look at is this. Any good ending of a story, any story, watch a movie, novel, the end has a way of wrapping up all of the tensions and the longings in the story, doesn't it? Right? 
It wraps them all up. And so I want to look at do these stories that are out there, these different accounts of the end of the world, really meet the deepest longings of the human heart. The first longing I want to look at is the longing for justice, right? We long for justice. We long in this world for things to be made right when things are wrong. So in our text, follow along with me if you'd like, Matthew 24, 30-31, it says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then, listen to this, all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. All right, what does that mean? What that means is that Jesus is going to come back in power and great glory. So think about the Lord of the Rings. Everybody somewhat familiar with that? At least hopefully you've seen the movie. So Gandalf goes away for a while, right? Gandalf the Grey goes away, and then he comes back, right? And about halfway through the story, and you expect Gandalf to be what Gandalf was, And so he has this showdown with Saruman, who's the bad guy who's been oppressing all of the people. He shows up, and Saruman's like, huh, you're a little old Gandalf the Grey. And then what does Gandalf do? He takes off his his old Gandalf the Grey robe, and he's now, he's Gandalf the White. He reveals this glory, this transformation he's been through. And so what we see, and then he defeats Saruman. That's what Gandalf does. And what we see in this passage is that when Jesus comes back, he's not going to come back in the same form that he came as a baby. He's going to come back in power and great glory. And what it says is that all of the tribes of the nations will mourn. So that means all of the oppressive rulers, all of the violent dictators will begin to weep when Jesus comes. Why? Because they realize that there is a higher power that they are going to have to answer to. And then it says, and all the trumpets will blow. Now, what is the trumpet? What is the trumpet imagery there? What does it mean? Well, in the Old Testament, the trumpets would, would blow as a sign of victory. It was a victory song. And so what that means is that Jesus, when he comes back, will be victorious over evil. He will be victorious over sin and death. That's the imagery there. Now, the question is, so that that gives us great hope that our longing for justice will be met in Jesus' coming back. Now, the question is, what is, is our deep longing for justice, how does that fit into an atheist account of how the world's going to end? Well, the world, basically the the sun, I was reading about this, a little bit of... uh, interesting biology. Um, the sun's going to burn out, and the earth is going to just die. Everybody's going to die. I mean, talk about lack of hope, right? <laughs> talk about your deep longing for justice. Well, guess what? Hitler is not going to answer for anything that he did, right? He's just going to cease to exist just the same way Mother Teresa ceased to exist. It's, 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 there's not hope there. That longing isn't met. The second deep longing I think that we feel is a longing to see our relatives again, the people that we love. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral before. Yeah, you have. Super question. If you've been to a funeral, you know that there is this inborn desire 
that you would be able to see that person again, that you would be able to be reunited with that person again, especially if they went, underwent tough suffering at the end, that they would be restored to vigor of life. And in Matthew 24, verse 31, it says, there will be a loud trumpet call and, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And then Paul picks up on this very theme in 1 Thessalonians. This is going to be our other main text that we look at today. He says, he's speaking to them because the church, when when Paul's uh, writing to the church, they're struggling with the fact that people are beginning to die in their church. And they're grieving that death. And he says to them to this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. He says, I don't want you to grieve as those who have, don't have hope. It's the same in the Christmas season. Oftentimes, we're reminded of those who we lost. And Paul's saying, I don't want you to grieve as those without hope. Because, and then he speaks about Jesus' second coming. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. What he's saying is, When Jesus comes back, you know what that's going to look like? It's going to look like a family reunion. All followers of Jesus are going to be there. Everybody that you miss so much is going to be there. There's great hope in Jesus' second coming. But another popular account, atheist account, is when we die, we die. And we don't ever see those people again. When they die, they die. When we die, we die. And so in Jesus' story, in his account, there's great hope that we will be able to see those we love again. Then finally, you might be saying, okay, but all world religions would say those two things. So, okay, uh, what about other perspectives? As we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, Through Jesus, because we believe that Jesus died and rose again, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. And then it says, and we will be caught up together with him in the clouds, those who are still alive, and we will meet the Lord in the air. So those who are alive when Jesus comes back will be one with Christ, and those who have died will be risen again and will be one with Christ. And then it says, and we will always be with the Lord. That is where we're heading. Eternal life with him. Now, other religions believe that ultimately those, that that people can go to be with God as well. So then the question becomes, how is it different? How is Christianity different from every other religion? Well, it's not the concept of heaven. All religions have some sort of concept of heaven or eternity. It's the concept of how do you get there? And in this passage, we see that for a Christian, it's through Christ. It's through his death. It's through his resurrection. It's belief in his work that Jesus has performed for us so that we can be assured of his salvation for us. But popular religion, which is kind of just a, you know, a smattering of different things, would say, if I'm a good person, I'll go to heaven. Correct? But then the question is, how good is good enough? And if you talk to most people, they'll say, well, yeah, I'm good enough. But how good is good enough? So there's always a question in your mind. 
Can I be assured of salvation? No, in popular religion, you can't. I was looking up about the Islamic faith, and they say that one's eternal destination is based on his or her deeds in the worldly life. Individuals who good deeds outweigh their bad deeds will attain heaven. Again, both of those accounts, where is hope placed in those accounts? In yourself, right? It's a form of self-salvation. If I can just do enough, then I'll be able to get to heaven. Now, but for Christians, where is our hope? It is not in us, right? If, if your hope is in yourself, all is lost. The Christian story is that our hope is in Jesus Christ. It's in his performance. It's in his work. And so we have hope. And what I want to say is that at Christmas time, when we think about Jesus's, when he came into earth as a baby, there's certain things that stir in us. I think it's the very same things that the second coming tells us about. First off, peace on earth. That Jesus's second coming tells us about there will ultimately be peace on earth. When we think about Christmas, we think about being reconciled with family. And Jesus's second coming says, then you will be reconciled to your Christian family. And then finally, our desire to be restored to God, his mercy. That's what we're reminded of at Christmas. And ultimately, when Jesus comes back, we'll be received by him in full mercy. And so at Christmas, at Jesus' first coming, there's seeds that bear fruit at his second coming. And so we don't need to be afraid of his second coming. We can look forward to it with hope. So much so that Martin Luther, one day he was watching his children, and they were all gathered around this table, and he said their eyes were glistening as they were looking at a, a bowl of peaches, which I thought was hilarious. Ooh, peaches. But they were, they were looking forward to those sweet, delicious peaches. And he said, this is a pattern of those who rejoice in the hope. Oh, if only we would behold the last day with the same happy and fond expectation. The second coming of Jesus is going to be when all of our hopes are fulfilled. All the things that we long for will finally be true. So we can look forward with hope. So that's our destination. Well, then the question left with us is, what do we do in the meantime? If that's where we're heading... What is our current course of navigation? How should we gauge our lives so that we're heading towards that final hope? Right? How do we, how do we uh, act? Because we don't know. That could be tomorrow. That could be, like Mike said, 2,000 years ago. What do we do in the meantime? Jesus gives two commands to his disciples. You ready for them? In verse 42, this is what he says. He's told him, hey, there's your destination. I'm coming back. Now here's what I want you to do. Here's your navigation. Here's the course you should set. He says, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. That's verse 42. And then verse 44, he says, therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Stay awake. Be ready. Stay awake. Be ready. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, what, what does that mean? How do I stay awake, right? That's your next question. It's my question. 
And so I want to look again at what readiness looks like according to Paul when he's, when he's speaking to the church. And he tells them, this is the things that you're supposed to do as you prepare for Jesus to come back. And, and I'm like, okay, okay, what, Paul, what should we do? And I want you to listen to these things. They're actually surprising. He says this. For this is the will of God. This is readiness. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Put that trash behind you. Love one another. Okay. Listen to this. Aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs. To work with your hands as we instructed you so that you walk properly before outsiders. Work with integrity. Then he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Build one another up. Don't tear each other down. Build one another up. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with all. Do not pay evil with evil, but always seek to do good. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Then he says it again, for this is the will of God and Jesus Christ for you. So what are we supposed to do? What does readiness look like? You would think that he would say, you know, doomsday and get all these... Readiness just looks like plain old faithfulness, right? Those are just normal, everyday things. What are we supposed to do? We're just supposed to live in faithfulness. And I love that. It's so simple. What does readiness look like? What does it mean to stay awake? Just be faithful to the things that he's called you to. So the question is, where are you at? Take a little bit of a pulse check. Where are you at right now in your faithfulness? And what I want to say is, do you think about your, the course of destination, as you think about this coming Advent season, and as you think about this next year, plot your course. Now, for those, for some of you, you might be thinking, well, I've never really thought much about the second coming and all of that kind of stuff. So for you, it may look like altering your course dramatically. You might, you know, say, okay, I've been living a certain way, but I'm not really ready. If Jesus were to come back tomorrow, I'm not really ready. And what I want to encourage you is faithfulness for you doesn't look like cleaning your life up. The first thing you need to figure out is who is Jesus, right? So before you try to fix yourself, because you can't, start saying, Jesus, who are you? And I want to invite you, in February, we have a class called Alpha. And that's, it's geared not just for Christians, but also for people that just have questions. Who's this Jesus guy? What's life all about? If you're saying, I need to alter my course. I need to investigate this a little bit more. I want to encourage you to come to that alpha class. The second thing, some of you guys might need to adjust your course, right? Maybe you said, okay, if life of faithfulness is what I'm called to right now, well, I'm not, I'm not really living fully for Christ. Maybe I'm thinking too much about material things, accomplishments, distractions. Does my list of kind of life goals look like a wish list, which is, here's the things I want to get for me, or does it look like a hope list? These are the things that I deeply hope for. These are the things that Jesus calls me to hope for. And so, what I want to call you to do this week is I want for you, if you're like, you know, I've been really distracted lately. I haven't really been living, setting my course towards the hope that I have in Christ, I want to encourage you to do this. Come up with a hope list. 
three things that you want to hope for this Advent season and this coming year that you could live into. If you're married, talk to your spouse. Say, here's what I'm hoping for. What are you hoping for? Share those things with your kids. Take a few steps so that you can navigate your course according to where history is heading. And then finally, some of you, this sermon should just affirm your course. Wow, okay. I think I'm doing okay. I think I'm living in faithfulness. And Jesus, remember, Jesus doesn't call us to perfection. Fortunately, he's perfect, so we don't have to be. He just calls us to progress. So look at this year, and if you're like, I think I've grown in faithfulness this year. This has been a good year. Well, I want to encourage you. Oftentimes in these sermons, you feel like, man, they're just telling us more things to do. You know, I got to be a better Christian. I want to, if you've been walking in faithfulness, I want you to be encouraged. Keep it up. Oftentimes, every day, faithfulness can kind of feel insignificant. Well, what I want to tell you is that your everyday simple faithfulness to what God has called you to, as small as it is, working with integrity, trying to build people up, trying to serve God, that's significant to God. I want to encourage you. You should walk out of here being like, man, okay, hey, this is good. All that Jesus is calling me to is faithfulness. This is good. And so, What I want to call you to do is simply this. Celebrate it. I want you to write down this week three things from this past year you can be encouraged by. Hey, I'm not, I'm not, you know, batting a thousand here with faithfulness, but I'm really growing. That's what God's calling you to. And I want to call you to one more thing because we need it. We're in this together. We need it. I want to, I want to encourage you to write a note of encouragement to somebody this week or tell them, hey, I see what you've been doing you're doing great. Keep it up. So this week, where are you at? Do you feel like, I need to alter my course. I need to rethink who this Jesus guy is. Because if what he's saying is true, then I need to change course. Do you need to adjust where you're at? Do you need to adjust and say, okay, I'm going to give up my wish list for a few, for just this week, and think about a hope list? Or do you need to affirm? Or are you affirmed? Do you need to be encouraged? Where are you at this week? Now, this past week, uh, a couple weeks ago, I had had two long days of work. I was really tired, and I knew that I had two long days of work ahead of me. And then my brother-in-law came to town. They moved to town, and it was Friday night. They got in at like 7 o'clock, and I knew two long days of work before, uh, behind me, two long days of work ahead of me, and then I knew I've got about four hours of unpacking his van, and moving everything into his house. And I was ticked, right? I was like, come on, man. Not enough. I'm, I'm exhausted. And so I was carrying boxes in, and I mean, I, I'm telling you, I was on my heels. It was like there was something kind of pushing behind me. I, I didn't want to do it. And, and I thought to myself, okay, Dan, is this, was this what faithfulness looks like? Is this the right thing to do in this situation? I was like, yeah, I think it is. And it wasn't an audible voice or anything, but a sense I got from the Lord, Holy Spirit, I don't know, I think it was God, he was like, lean into it. Lean in to this thing. I know it feels insignificant, I know you're tired, but lean into it. And that little word set me up for the next couple hours of work, because I was leaning into it, I was getting at it. So if you need to alter your course, lean into that. 
If you need to adjust your course, lean into it. And if you've been affirmed today, lean into that. Lean into your faithfulness. It's it's important to God. So we have a future hope that he is coming back, that he's going to finish all the work that we're slaving away at today. We know that he's going to do it. So our future hope gives us strength for the present. So lean in this week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the promise, for the hope that we have that Jesus is going to come back and make all things new and finish all the work there is to do. And so, Lord, I pray for wherever each of these people are today, I pray that you would help them lean into what you're calling them to this week, this month, and this year. In Jesus' name, amen.